And welcome to Pods with John and Wendy. Uh, I'm Wendy. And I'm John. <laughs> and we're podding. <laughs> yes. Uh, you should know us, or will know us, uh, from playswithjohnandwendy.com, where we review the local theater, theater scene. scene. Uh, we've been doing this for seven years as PWJW, and I've been doing it for local media since well, for about 20 years exactly now yeah here on october 1 of 2022 yes okay so welcome to episode one october 2022 we're just learning this process as we go building the plane in flight so to speak so this is going to sound rough and embarrassing to us when we look back 10 years from now, it's like, oh, we have a professional producer and all kinds of other stuff. But no, it's just us conversing next to a cell phone with an active mic. Our perspective uh, on this first episode is to say uh, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and kind of a perspective of where we are right now. Okay, I'm going to talk now. This is Wendy. Those of you who don't know me by sight, I'm the big woman with the huge obnoxious laugh that all the actors love and some of the audience people don't. Anyway, my thought about our website and our purpose is that the average person wanting to attend theater in Indianapolis area has X amount of dollars to spend and it is our job to help advise them how to spend it to get the most entertainment for their dollar. Mm -hmm. We're not here to make our reputation by destroying actors and plays. We're here to support the local arts mm -hmm. and the local artists and help get other people to the theater by encouraging them to try different things and see what's out there that they might enjoy. Yes, because this is Indianapolis, Indiana area, uh, which uh, being the World Wide Web, you could be hearing this from anywhere. So like any uh, medium-sized city by global standards, medium-sized is just over a million people in the uh, metro area. We have a very active theater community, about 20 companies and venues putting on things throughout the year. Closer to 30 these days. Mm -hmm. And lots of little companies that will take advantage of the Fringe Festival and the Fringe Building, which puts on programming all year. Of course, our show uh, would work best as a podcast if we have a guest, and we do. Uh, I did some recording with Casey Ross. Casey Ross is a good friend of ours and a uh, playwright. Who wrote the line that everyone quotes that is definitive me, definitively me, which is, why must you always be you? Yeah, that was in like, like her first... Uh, show that we ever saw yeah her first fringe play i think it was yeah. too <laughs> yeah it was gallery of the gallery trilogy and she does like to follow up good shows with even more good sequels yes which she did at this last 
Fringe Festival. So we talked to her at, well, I talked to her at the uh, beer tent. That conversation is coming up. Through the magic of podcast editing, we'll go from October 1st to August somethingeth. August somethingeth. <laughs> when uh, we talked to Casey about that festival and some of the highlights and just uh, general, we get all into everything of her past uh, shows, the state of fringe and local media, and uh, a shout out mm. to Waiting for Guffman. We just get all over the place on that. So for those who are listening in to hear somebody's voice other than ours, stay tuned. Unseen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm keeping that bit. <laughs> There's the laugh. <laughs> Indie Fringe 2022, and I'm here with uh, Casey Ross, who now looks all, all nervous because we're talking over a recording device. Not not nervous, just, you know, I don't want to have to, like, make you over-censor this. My work's uh, a little blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think uh, my the, the website says all ages, but we can modify this for... <laughs> this it, is the, the um, after hours... Yes, episode. and I and I always promised that like when I finally start podcasting that you'd be like my first interview. Yes, yes, yes. hell yeah! And by the time I get around to putting this together, the fringe will probably be over, so no need to promote Tortillo Three. Sure. Which it seems to be going pretty well. Very well. Um, I actually heard that we have the late show tonight, the ten thirty, and mm -hmm. we sold a big package of group tickets. So yeah, this is Saturday the twenty seventh. For reference, okay. At the beautiful Indie Fringe beer tent in the pocket park at the trailhead. <laughs> the the podcaster and me is like, oh cool. There's not much background noise, so it's just mostly hearing you and me. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm kind of disappointed. There's not like a bunch of people just hanging out and drinking beer and chilling and. Yeah. And uh, you can just like party off to the side. And, and Michelle. <laughs> Wofford, yeah, Michelle. Wa Michelle, yeah, it's, it's, it, you had like what, Manweiler, Wofford, whatever, on your. Yeah, Manweiler is my married name. Okay. Okay. Of course, probably none of that picked up unless I've got a really good program that I picked up for free. And yeah, that was that was Michelle uh, Wofford. Who Michelle is? Two shows. Yeah, and uh, I've seen her in Play by Play, which is wonderful. And she's in the one piece that breaks my heart, but you know, that's just me. Sorry. <laughs> she said sorry. There were some heartbreakers in it. It was a healthy mix of comedy and yeah. tragedy. And Mark Harvey Levine is so, so good. Such a good. I um, I'm a tough sell on short plays. Like one hour is typically my um, mm -hmm. my cutoff. Mm -hmm. to tell a story in um and i'm i'm i don't know like i'm not a, a huge fan of collections of shorts but this was like the first time where i was like that was 15 very short plays that had a point and characters and yeah like just mm -hmm. really expertly constructed stuff like yeah. I, I can't write short form i i'm good for an hour or three mm -hmm. you know my my happy wiggle room 
Yeah. Like 60 minutes or way too many minutes. Hold on. <laughs> You've rewritten. Okay. Enjoy. And Michelle walks off to the next show. Uh, that's, I guess that's a, a good question. It's like, you, when I first saw you, you were writing, you, you were presented your first of the... Uh, the gallery trilogy. Gallery trilogy. Yeah. And that was a fringe show. The under 60 minutes format, does that... Do you chafe against it? Do you see it as a challenge to get the point across in that much time? Or it forces you to edit out anything that would have been too much? I... So there's a, a few shows that I had written and then like cut down for Fringe, and I find that those those can maybe suffer or like you can cut them down to where it's too slim and maybe there's too much plot for an hour, and you need that extra time. So I do have a couple shows that have been expanded to 90-minute versions or full-length versions after Fringe, um, but since doing Fringe like back to back to back, like I've done 14 festivals. What the heck? That's somebody's horn. Ambiance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, since I, I've been doing them back to back to back, I've been writing stuff specifically more so for the fringe. And I've kind of, for me, like timing wise in the hour, I know about how many scenes that is, how many pages that is. And so I, I have more of a format now that mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a while. Um, I think my earlier stuff is the stuff that kind of maybe suffered because I didn't necessarily write it with the intention of it going to fringe. Mm -hmm. I wrote it and then cut it. Mm -hmm. But like with Tortillo 3 or the show I did last year, Copyright Safe, those were both written with the intention of like, this lives at Fringe. So I think that mm -hmm. there's really no more to tell in those stories. It's really concise and, mm -hmm. and meant to be a Fringe show. Yeah, and uh, well, your, your gallery trilogy, you wrote those and did those for Fringe and now you've, you've published a book with them. So that's that brings up the test of if some other director or some other company wants to do these i actually have had um gallery and tortillo are two of my shows that have been done by other companies actually during the pandemic i had a kid reach out to me that we had um auditioned to be in our production of diviners um, and he's now living out in phoenix and he started a virtual theater troupe during the pandemic because they couldn't do anything at their mm -hmm. college program and so he got in touch with me and he had seen some of my friend's shows and he was like, I was just wondering since, you know, they're, they're kind of like minimalist and they're small cast, like, can we, can we do them for our virtual theater lab? So a group of college kids in Arizona did all of the gallery plays and all of the Tortillo plays. Mm -hmm. A couple of them might catch the last weekend of Tortillo 3 since it didn't exist when they did Tortillo. They just did one and two. Mm -hmm. And there's been a single German community theater production of Tortillo. So oh, cool. I, I would kill to see the international production of Tortillo. Germans do have a sense of humor. Yeah. I, I've been there. <sighs> yeah, I had a, a friend that I kind of met through my... I follow a folk singer, um, Brett Denon, and I had mm -hmm. met her a couple times through his concerts, and she actually is from Germany and runs a theater troupe and got in touch mm -hmm. and like I sent her basically my whole catalog and oddly enough they picked Tortillo the mm -hmm. 90 minute version because that one's one that I have two versions mm -hmm. of 60 and 90 mm -hmm. and they did a 90 minute version of Tortillo in German so so it's it's the, <laughs> these aren't shows that only work because you're doing them or you know or, I hope not yeah um there's but having you know too much of Casey in them and not just like <laughs> This is a cool story, and 
of course, you, you obviously don't have too much of the ego about somebody else doing it and crafting it in their way. There, the one I did last year, I think, is probably the only one that I wonder if Dave and I weren't involved, if that show would work. Mm -hmm. um, because when we write music stuff together, um, for, for everyone listening, I guess, um, Dave Pelsu is my business partner with Catalyst Repertory, my theater troupe. And I wrote a monologue-heavy superhero show mm -hmm. for him last year that I had actually written for him to do mm -hmm. the part. And then he wrote original music for his character because mm -hmm. there's a bit where he keeps going to this open mic night. Mm -hmm. And that music isn't, like, scored and, you know, there's mm -hmm. no lyric sheets. Like, that was just songs he wrote for himself. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of think if somebody wanted to do that show at another festival or, like, with another cast... Mm -hmm. I would almost maybe like pull a Sam Shepard with like his tooth of crime and say like, here's the, here's the areas in the script where a song would go, but the artist should be, you know, somebody who's like a, a singer songwriter and a monologist and yeah. they can kind of come up with their own sound and like what Badger's sound is for them. Mm -hmm. um, I think that could work, but like, I don't think taking stuff that was written by Dave for Dave for someone else would necessarily work because... Uh, uh, well on one hand, um, Dave is a very singular personality. I'm sure he'll hear this sometimes, like, <laughs> oh, they're praising me. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Anyway, and he'll use that voice, too. Ha-ha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, he, he seems like, you know, he's a fairly singular kind of person, but then uh, I was watching some rerun of a TV show, and it had this one guy who's, he's kind of your B-level actor. I can't remember his name, but anyway... My, my, it dawned on me, this is the guy you get when you can't get Dave Pelsu. <laughs> and, you know, and you consider that Dave was perfect as Badger, which is a, a knockoff, uh, don't sue us, Disney and Marvel, of Wolverine. Yes. But then... The, the show is called Copyright Safe for a reason. <laughs> but uh, then it's like people who, who think, you know, only Hugh Jackman could play Wolverine, and it's like... Well, now we you just proved that wrong. And there's somebody else who is like a muscular medium body, but only five and a half foot tall, <laughs> and can play and sing. Oh, as... Dave's at least five eight. I want to go on record. For okay, saying it was that. five eight. Wink, wink. No. Okay. I think he's like five. But probably like five eight. Yeah, oh, five eight. Anyway, somebody who's not six foot tall, yeah. <laughs> who can play this this role. Every I'm sure every town, you know, not to. Pop your bubble, Dave. But I'm sure every city theater uh, scene has a Dave Pelsu. Oh, sure. I mean, like, you even watch Waiting for Guffman, and there's the, the cool guy mechanic musician that they're trying to get in the community theater show. I mean, mm -hmm. he he's a, a standard character in the community mm -hmm. theater scene, but... The more the more I get involved, the more I get involved in this, the more I love Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's... It's so real. Waiting for Guffman and Hamlet to make me feel very attacked as a person. Like, I've, I've had each and every one of the meltdowns that those directors have had. <laughs> so we were we're back kind of... This is supposed to be like the first fringe going full steam. Because last year was the recovery fringe after... Yeah. And so what do you think of the state of the fringe comparing now to last year to... To previous years when you know this tent would have been too noisy this is true um so i've been doing 
this friend since 2006. 2007 was the first show that I wrote, but I was involved with another production in 2006, which was only the second festival. Um, and I've seen 14 festivals. I, I think that as we've expanded and we've gotten more corporate sponsors, there has certainly been a little bit more um, streamlining and things so that all the venues are very nice. Everybody kind of has equal playing field at mm -hmm. this fringe. We have a very nice fringe. Um, but I'm, I'm eager to see more of like the buskers out and there used to be like visual fringe and film fringe. Mm -hmm. um, so like that's why the company that my day job is, uh, 462 Uncreative, we're co-sponsoring this little art fair on Saturdays, just trying to kind of mm -hmm. re-drum up some of that old festival feeling because I'm like a catch-22, um, just for everybody, I guess, listening. Our fringe used to run um, Sunday through Sunday, so there wasn't like a gap in the week. It wasn't just weekends. Yeah. It was 11 days yeah. straight. I, I think the, the fringe has learned some lessons throughout its 15-whatever-odd-year well, oh, history. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we have a really big venue down at the Athenaeum, and that's where the big dance and... Uh, yep. shows are and th you know, things like uh, not doing uh, empty houses on Tuesday night so it's it's Thursday through Sunday yep that's kind of that, I guess that's the catch-22 is like everybody is experiencing larger houses um, just because yeah it's, it's just on the weekend and like the worst day you can get is like a Thursday because it's not you know typical activity day but people are getting a little bit more used to it with theater runs um, Mm -hmm. I, I do think like it, it takes away a little bit of like the largeness of this being a festival like when you think mm -hmm. of like conventions and festivals like Gen Con's four straight days you know it's mm -hmm. not just like two days on this weekend and two days on the next weekend um, but I also do enjoy seeing all of the out-of-towners and people that come to our fringe mm -hmm. have full houses because mm -hmm. it's weekend and our local theater supporters are all out here seeing mm -hmm. as many shows as they can so I think it's it's really wise to better support the artists and have us have bigger houses, but you know there's always going to be a part of me that like is maybe a little nostalgic for the the marathon aspect of. Friends. Oh yeah. Uh, considering Wendy and I uh, are iron fringing again, and we're looking at about at least fifty different shows that we're writing up. Ooh, I'm but, only up to seven. So. But then yeah, <laughs> but then we, that's one of the things that is happened over the last several years is that Wendy and I are like the most comprehensive coverage yeah and we're fairly amateur by you know by the fact that this isn't our paying job and by that we only have limited resources and it would be great if uh, other media actually noticed this again yeah we used to have um, when Nuvo was still a print publication now they're they're mostly online as mm -hmm. a lot of you know, papers and, and things have had to do. Yeah. Um, it's the, the death of the industry yeah. overall. But there was there was still, like, a definite guarantee that, like, everybody's show would have something written about it. Mm -hmm. And, like, you guys are, are taking up a huge part of that mantle because, I mean, yeah, 50 isn't all 65 that's in the festival. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's a big chunk. And you guys are the only ones that are, like, really mm -hmm. hitting it that hard. Like, 
Um, Jay Harvey has posted a couple. Um, yeah, but he's only he's only one guy. Tom yep. Alvarez is producing a show, so he, he can't do both things at once. He um, actually starting tomorrow. He's gonna he's gonna catch a bunch tomorrow and try yeah. to like, oh, that's good. Write a little blurb or to, uh, yeah. two. Here's to you, Tom. You're awesome. Yeah. Big thanks. I worked on Jewelbox a little bit as well. I did their projections and their programs and their marketing mm -hmm. design. It's an excellent show. Yeah. I met what and, I and I, and I like uh, I like Jay Harvey as well. And there's been times I've actually like on the pa Facebook page said oh, I didn't make it, but he did. Because yeah. <laughs> you know it's 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 more community than a competition. It's yeah. not like old New York with ten papers trying to scoop each other. And I I appreciate that. All, all of you guys that are, are reviewing, they're, they're not like just overly saccharine reviews just to like review us and say that everything's mm -hmm. amazing. Like there is real critique happening in the yeah. reviews, but I feel like a lot of the meanness of pre-COVID theater has been sucked out because one thing, like I don't care to go on the record and diss some of the old Nouveau reviews, but they did it with a star system, so it was one to five stars. Mm -hmm. And there were some shows that like they would give like a half a star or one star, and it's like mm -hmm. that's not helping mm -hmm. uh, anybody and like promoting the festival really because if you like trash something like we're on Broadway and not you know in the Midwest, you're not selling the art form to have mm -hmm. more traffic and like uh, press should build the art form up. Mm -hmm. Certainly, be objective, but yeah. don't don't just rip just to rip. Like we're none of us are on Broadway. We can have Broadway caliber stuff, but like a lot of us have day jobs. This is not our profession. Like there's no reason that's, to. That's why uh, the approach we take at uh, plays with John and Wendy, the PWJW. Um, I try not to be too Pollyanna. I try not to you know like oversell, but. I've noticed that things that I really didn't care for, somebody's giving it a standing ovation. Sure. There's something that somebody like, you know, there's there's very few shows I've seen in the last 20 years that were like, oh gosh, avoid this at all cost. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's just an honest try. Sometimes it's technical difficulties that you know they're going to have that fixed by next weekend. Yep. That they are going oh god we screwed up in front of the reviewers we've got to fix this oh yeah our first um our first show i couldn't get our scene change music to work because i was using a projection uh a q lab mm -hmm. thing that i had never used before and so mm -hmm. it was playing the projections fine but we didn't have any music and so like mm -hmm. i was fretting that and one of the things, I guess, is like a producer at a festival kind of setting is like you have to like separate yourself from the idea that it's going to be perfect. Like you can get close and you can refine it throughout your run, but I mean, there's still like 10 shows in your venue. The tech is running all of those. It's, it's a lot and it's, it's um, a big expectation to be able to do a show, one that's timed in an hour. Um, you have 10 minutes to set up and tear down, so like you're not building a set. You're not having like massively elaborate tech with these things. It is kind of this even playing field, mm -hmm. but like, you know, the nature of the beast and the nature of artists is like, you know, shows are going to get pushed further and further and further and further up the, the grand scale. Like we mentioned Jewelbox, and I mean, they have... The Jewelbox like, Cabaret. Yeah, like six different costume changes per drag queen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's not a unelaborate show it's it's a pretty mm -hmm. extensive production and like we're trying to do projection sound cues and scene changes so 
It's a, it's a feat. Fringe is not for the faint of heart in mm -hmm. producing. But, but that's what makes it fun. It's a challenge. Uh, on the other hand, there is the one of the Fringe shows here, uh, Lisa Sears. Oh, yeah. Who I hope hears I this. Lisa. She Lisa. Shout li out to Lisa. Yeah, she lives here in uh, the in the Indianapolis area and from around here. And anyway, uh, she... Um, She's building the plane in flight, basically. She got, has a show, and it's very personal and confessional, and yet still, you know, uh, kind of lifting up others and affirming. Awesome. You know, about her journey with her health and, you know, F cancer and all that. And uh, the first... The first time on thir uh, the first Thursday was the first time, and Wendy was there, and she's like, "I don't know if I can write this up. It was so rough," and so I went and saw it, and then we could see the the improvements, and that's what I put in the review. I didn't sell it as you know the next great, you know, the that as something that is absolutely perfect now, but this is like it's a this is this is something good. This is a, a way for you to be a part of how the the thing gets made. Mm -hmm. And it's an inexpensive ticket, and it's a, actually at, a, at the heart a very good show. Yeah. And very earnest. Well, yeah, I know. Um, in its I intent. mean, Lisa's a fantastic stand-up, mm -hmm. and I talked to her a little bit at the preview mm -hmm. party, and I, I didn't, I didn't, I knew what the show was going to be about, like mm -hmm. with uh, with health concerns that I know that Lisa mm -hmm. has had, just being a friend. But um, mm -hmm. I, I kind she's, of. She's she's very open about. Can, uh, breast cancer and being double mastectomy and yep a and <laughs> yeah and about the flatty community mm -hmm. which is important because too many people think they have to re replace their breasts and then you end up with silicone parts that actually are unhealthy and also she she talks about since her 20s having ms yeah and it's you know it's one of those ironies that the more she falls apart the more her life comes together and it's like, yeah, I guess that's encouraging that's to any, a, anyone that's really that, nice that you, it's like, wow, I wouldn't have done all these things and met all these people and gone all these places yeah. if something rough hadn't happened to me. Not that I wanted that to happen, but since it happened, I picked up and, and did this. I totally get that. And I, I was kind of shocked, both shocked and happy to hear that, because um, when we spoke at the party, I was like, oh, I'm... I'm sure your show's hilarious because like I've seen her do stand up several times, mm -hmm. and she's like, um, there's humor to it because mm -hmm. like I can't remove myself from who I am as you know a performer and a comedian, but mm -hmm. this is definitely more from the heart and serious, mm -hmm. and I think that's that's cool to see somebody who is by profession like a stand up comedian mm -hmm. and just such a naturally funny person, but putting themselves on the other side of like let's do something more vulnerable and that's really what fringe is for because like i've i've certainly had shows where i've known they're more ready than other shows like mm -hmm. some some of my shows it is like this is the first production and this is kind of a workshop to see does it work i mean tortillo started that way it was it's such a absurd idea mm -hmm. so like the the thought that there's three of them now and that I, th I do kind of feel that maybe they only work in Fringe because people are much more willing to accept something purely silly. Mm, or and cut it of, some slack. Yeah, and like, it's it's frivolous, and it's what you go see at 10.30 with the beer in your hand and like, let's have some fun, mm. and that's what it's made to do. Mm -hmm. um, I remember your Arcade Fire 
uh, when you first had it here and the projections didn't show up on the wall and yep. you if you didn't know they were there you hardly noticed it yeah. you, you just and of course you've got a gang who's is all all in on it yep. and everybody just rolled with it and to have of course and billy mitchell at the back <laughs> of the room still enjoying shout it. out bill yes <laughs> yes that was uh the story of the king of kong and uh, any internet denizens who want to uh throw shade just you know shut up uh go to uh well uh, as i say go to your social media but you've heard enough from those yahoos anyway this is not about a yeah. uh <laughs> a video game controversy but yeah i mean that that's a really good example of one of my shows that was definitely much more in in a workshopping state because it was um it was kind of a massive production to try at Fringe. It had um, two arcade machines on stage that were on and working, projections. It was a musical. Um, it was a musical about a real person, if you don't know who aforementioned Billy Mitchell is. And he was at the show. And mm -hmm. so, like, there was a lot of moving parts. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it could have been a train wreck, but I feel like that, that umbrella and that blanket of, like, fringes for trying something new mm -hmm. people were much more able to go with it and it allowed me to develop the show and we we ended up touring it around for like three years to different conventions and stuff and mm -hmm. we yeah that, some that's models. something you could take to an electronics convention or a gaming convention or... um we were before covid hit and canceled the event there is a a real kong off like a donkey kong championships and we were invited to Mm -hmm. be like the after party let's do the musical at the kong off thing and we're gonna take it to the video game hall of fame one day like i feel when you know when bill gets his lifetime achievement in video games we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll travel it there but yeah you you can learn a lot about your show when there's 65 other shows that you have to stick out against because mm -hmm. there should be something for everybody in that and if your show is not that something then there's something else to see yeah yeah because there's there's the musical or otherwise silly thing with f-bombs which you're not the only one there's also what defiance comedy oh, does uh the in other other groups that just go um unfive gettable unfive gettable yeah they're doing the q piece <laughs> yes uh yeah the, the bigfoot uh saves america i i have been saying that that is I've done a lot of indie fringe festivals, and that's been my favorite show I've seen in the last 10 years. I mean, of course, I'm going to be partial to my own company's mm. productions, but like that that show was just so charming, and mm -hmm. um, you know, not to not to spoil any plot for anybody, but they they give a slight shout out to the Tortillo series because at the end of Bigfoot, did you catch the? Uh, oh yeah. They do the, like a play with a sequel that'll never work. Look <laughs> out into the audience. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it will. <laughs> yeah, and then then the and Paige, mm. our good friend Paige, uh, with I'm I'm guessing Party Island is a uh, callback to her work on the Good Ship Whizbang. Yes, it is. And uh, and she's apparently making that her comedy uh, production company, and that's that another thing. But for those who who want something more family friendly, there's so much going on here that. Carmel High School came out with another brilliant show. Is with that the uh, Edward yes, Blaine? Yes, Edward, the marvelous uh, journey of, miraculous journey of 
Edward Tulane, which is based on a fairly recently written children's book about a China doll that's actually, that's a rabbit, a China rabbit. And uh, I'm sold with all of this already. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's the the thing on on that story, which gets translated into the the play, is that you know how you you get a doll and you project a personality on it. Yeah. You know, you know, this is Sweetie, and she talks like this, yeah. and she loves me. And but because this is a fine China doll, and he knows it, he is very full of himself, <laughs> and I, you know. Hold me to uh, hold me where I can see the light, and uh, you know, don't dress me in that. And you know, it's, of course, the girl who who owns him because she's oh, he loves me. Yeah. And, and the grandmother who gave apparently because grandmas are magic uh, realizes that he is not getting with the program, and she tells a, be a bedtime story to the girl that the rabbit overhears. That is kind of dark and uh, very Hans Christian Andersen-y. And the rabbit's like, I don't get it. But then over the course of his adventures, where he's end up lost and found by various people, he gets it. <laughs> and that's all I'll say, because uh, I know today is the last of the Fringe shows, and by the time I put this on air, the Fringe festival itself will be over. But if you can find a production of this, children's all ages play you know that's that's a really good one i um i always encourage people to like if if they're comfortable with it i know i'm a little bit more free-spirited about like my stuff being online um i i'm almost in the boat of like if you want to like steal my stuff off the internet that's almost a compliment and not an insult mm. um you know i, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't, I wouldn't I would be too them. open about it because there there's certain ones i have to protect like well, they're, they're, it's like, you know, you, you want people to, to you, maybe they'll homage, maybe somebody will show, like, at their house party that they'll show uh, a, a airing of some, you know, one of your plays. Mm -hmm. But for some, you know, if somebody to take, you don't want to. Oh, for someone to, like, produce the work and stage it and charge a ticket price, that's a different thing. And, and, like, and say it's by them or it's, like, oh, yeah. by by Casey Ross, but Casey Ross isn't getting a penny from this. Right. That's that's a different story. I um, yeah. I, I run a, the, uh, a YouTube for my theater company, Catalyst mm -hmm. Repertory, and, like, most of the stuff that I own that I've written, I don't put it as, as a public link, but, like, there'll be a playlist of clips, and then at the very end of the playlist and, mm -hmm. like, a, a hidden link you can watch the full show because after the shows have closed my my kind of thought process of it is like i i want people to just see it if i ever caught you know like in a theater or like a company producing without making some sort of contact because i do put like at the beginning of the video or like in the text of the video like this is property of this theater company it's property of this writer like you can reach out to us here at this email if you want to produce this mm -hmm. um so you know like fingers that people are are mostly decent mm -hmm. I know that's um foolhardy sometimes but like since the advent of COVID I feel like audiences have been a little bit slimmer and harder to come by mm -hmm. and people are still really like working their way back up into seeing stuff and so we made our decision to kind of put Catalyst back on um performer life support with our friend show last year copyright safe and we did our first season back since the pandemic this year mm -hmm. and um we were really committed to streaming platforms and like ways to get the shows out digitally 
because we had a lot of friends that just they weren't ready to get out and see shows and like we did um martin mcdonough's pillow man and like we had a lot of people that wanted to see it but like they weren't going to come to a small black box theater and be in a big crowded room mm -hmm. um so i i'm excited to see the positive impact of like coming out of covid and people having more streaming options and more social media options but also like you can't lose the integrity of live theater um it's it's hard it's, to it's irreplaceable but it's hard to match the experience oh, of being God, in the room really. and and the interaction and seeing the show yeah. live i mean that's that's what key that's what sustains broadway and what helps it bring it back is that you know the yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a full viable replacement for live theater at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that like other options is something that maybe we mm -hmm. should embrace a little bit just mm -hmm. with the understanding that, mm -hmm. you know, COVID did happen and the internet is here. And there are people who yeah. they might not be in your live audience, so maybe we can reach them you, a little bit. <laughs> and you, you can and you can still with live theater embrace technology and embrace multimedia, and you have Absolutely. like well, one one uh, one of the shows. Uh, one of my favorites here is the show called Hope. What was the full title? Uh, a theatrical dance. Hope, a theatrical dance. Uh, the people coming down from uh, I think Gary Shannon is his name came down from. Uh, it, from, no, he he came down from Portland, Maine. But here's okay. here's the cool thing about it is that you know it's a story of of loss and grief and working your way through that. But it's beautiful. I mean, it's a, yeah. it is still great to I've watch. I've heard nothing but like stellar <laughs> reviews about it, so I'm kind of bummed we won't get to see it. <laughs> oh, uh, it, it, yeah, we we did. Wendy and I both did it. it Wendy was literally in tears in a good way, but still, it's like I, you write it up, so we wrote it up together. Anyway, one one of the things that it embraces uh, technology is that the third person, the third actor in this, is a actor and dancer from Minneapolis. Well, actually, from St. Paul, okay. to be correct. And uh, they recorded her and her with with Jerry. And it, you know, they recorded obviously uh, probably in the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. and project that up on the screen oh. during the show, and it's it actually helps the whole show because she plays the person who is no longer there, and so it helps with the themes of loss and, and memory, because you know sometimes you'll see somebody in flashback and it's like well yeah she's not dead she's right there but right. But yeah. this kind of brought the point home is that they're not, you know, she's no longer here, you know, and and he choreographed a really great things where she would dance and he would dance, he and him on the stage would dance w coupled with her on the screen, so you you get the 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 link, the connection without, yeah, so. Aww. That's one way to, to use the technology and also the fact that we didn't have to fly somebody down here from Minnesota and add to the whole cost. Sure, because I mean that's, I, um, I'm super passionate about Fringe Theater, like I would probably say that like it's going to, it's going to take me a lot longer to retire from Fringe than it will from doing like in-season Catalyst repertory shows. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the biggest reasons we haven't 
taken shows elsewhere to other fringes is my smallest fringe cast I've written is three. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not so bad. Like we could probably travel three, but like the shows that I'm really passionate that I feel like would be very successful at other fringes, like Mall Musical is a cast of eight. Uh, Tortillo, I feel, is maybe one of my stronger like four fringe scripts, like this existent fringe. And that's up to nine characters now. Mm-hmm. So like it is, it's it's costly to think about like traveling all of your actors and like, I mean, we're, we're, we're not amateur actors. Like, these are professional actors, but... Or professionally so, trained, professional professionally caliber. Professionally trained, professional caliber. But, like, everybody still has to have a day job. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. asking people to take time off work and time away from their families, like, it, it gets costly. So we've kind of planted roots and stay in ND, but mm-hmm. a long-term goal would be to have one, one friend show that I could maybe break both of my partners, Dave and Taylor, out for a two-man show or something and we could travel that a little bit like yeah. i don't think we're gonna be going very far but like we could hit since see yeah since nadia has a friend yeah. yeah of course we'd love to go to the big one in borough who wouldn't but mm-hmm. but still you know, it takes some planning to go to like orlando fringe or dc fringe or kansas city fringe we or, were, or the um, twin cities because that's that's still a ways away orlando way back in the day when they were um i don't know if they were just starting or what but they their executive director came to our fringe in 2008 and saw the first first tortillo um with a different cast because tortillo has gone through a casting change Mm -hmm. um and like they told us like oh my gosh if you bring it down to orlando like we have like a section where we can curate a few shows in from other fringes just to like mm-hmm. kind of pad as we as we get the festival started. Now they're like one of the biggest. They don't need any help anymore. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we had an invitation to like bring their show, and we were mm-hmm. super excited. And we looked into it, but it it was it was truly just the travel cost. Like mm-hmm. the fringes do a lot to help the artists and like give them a place to stay and and make sure they're taken care of while they're here. But it's it's the getting there. I mean. Not everybody can afford to do the getting there part, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Catalyst Repertory, uh, where do we find that? We have a website that's just catalystrepertory.org. Um, that website will link you to all of the platforms that we're on, but we are on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I always try to, like, extra plug the YouTube because I am I'm curious to see if we can get theater YouTube to happen. I want more theater stuff and content on YouTube for, for theaters, so mm-hmm. find us on YouTube. Yeah, and we also have a Facebook, because everybody's got a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the phone book used to be, but with more information. We're, we're old and enough to still post on our Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Casey. You are awesome, as always. Oh, thank you. Okay, I've got to slide again. Okay. Looking over the schedule for October. We're going to look a little into the future since we're posting this in early October. The big story for Indianapolis Theater is Bardfest, the annual Shakespeare Festival. So we should be posting reviews of different shows. We have King John, which is not one of the first things you think of with Shakespeare, but then Bardfest is good about finding obscure shows that 
are rarely produced. Yeah, but it's still Shakespeare, and we have people who really take this stuff seriously and put on a good show. We just saw Tick, Tick, Boom at the Phoenix Theater, and weirdly enough, another theater will... Carmel Community Players will be doing it in two weeks, running the 14th through the 23rd of October. It is extremely rare for two places to stage the same thing so close. I don't know the backstory, and so we'll just presume that it was a honest weirdness that just happens sometimes when you have a lot of stages that want to do enterprising new things. And with the recent movie, I'm sure that was the impetus for bringing this fairly new to the area show. I will say one thing. That the weekend of the 14th and 15th, there are nine shows opening that weekend. We are two people. We are going to do our best to see everything we can, but some things are going to get left out. And if you're one of the people putting on a show that gets left out, it's not... Not personal. It's not personal. We can only do so much. Okay? We're two people. With one car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also coming up this weekend with Bard's Fest, in addition to King John, uh, they are also putting on Lysistrata, which is a very important show, especially right now. Maybe a lot of us should actually listen to the message and take it to heart and use it to make some actual political change. Mm-hmm. We'll try not to get too political on this blog, but it's a part of life. Yeah. And nobody should marvel at the arts getting woke because that's been kind of baked in from the ancient Greeks onward. It's just we have fewer beheadings over it about these days. So. Anyway, this concludes episode one of pods with john and wendy by john lyle belden speaking and wendy carson with our guest casey ross and a brief audio visit by michelle wafford manweiler thank you to uh, everyone involved this podcast is copyright 2022 John Lyle Belden and Wendy Carson. Find us at playswithjohnandwendy.com. Contact us at playswithjohnandwendy, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And we'll see you at the theater. Mm-hmm.